It's great to be with you. Um, I've got a little bit of adjustment on my mic, so it's very close to my mouth. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear me very well. Um, you might even hear some things you don't want to hear. Hopefully not. My sinus issues will hopefully uh, not bother you too much. Um, as Christine mentioned, we're at the end of our series, The Unbearable Darkness of Doubt, uh, through the letter of 2 Peter. And it's been an exciting series. It's been a very short series, just about four or five weeks. Um, and the purpose of our series has been to bring light to illuminate the dark, to not only understand, um, appreciate, and be changed by 2 Peter, but to do the same for our lives as we wrestle with doubt and matters of faith in Jesus. So it's my hope this morning that as we wrap things up here in 2 Peter, we'll find that light is flooding our hearts, flooding the darkness of our hearts indeed, and helping us to turn our newly brightened eyes towards Jesus once again. Uh, with that in mind, why don't I pray for us as we get stuck into the message. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege to call ourselves your children. It's only through the gospel of grace that we talk about here at New Life, the fact that your son came and died, standing in our place, that we might stand in his. We thank you that your love is for us, and we thank you, Lord, that we're able to gather like this, that we're able to sit amongst brothers and sisters. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together, you say. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to really cling on to this, to reject false teaching, and to cling on to what is trustworthy and true. Help us, Lord, to be illuminated by the truth of your gospel here today, God. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us, open up our ears, and help us, Lord, to receive what it is that you have for us. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned the goal of our series, Unbearable Darkness of Doubt, and here at the beginning of our passage this morning in 2 Peter 3, Peter states his goal in writing these letters as well. So why don't you read with me 2 Peter 3, verses 1 to 2. It's on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible in front of you. If you do have a Bible, I encourage you to keep it open. It reads this. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder, so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Peter's goal is for his readers to have a sincere understanding of God. So he wants this pure, sincere understanding in contrast with what he sees in the false teachers. So we've talked about the false teachers recently. These are the guys we've talked about over this past month. And if you missed it, check out some of the recordings uh, that are on our website or on our YouTube page to hear what made them false teachers. What is it that makes them false teachers? And the false teachers who are also now called scoffers by Peter because they mock trustworthy teaching, they have their thinking distorted by evil desires. So their thinking is actually being distorted. What in their thinking is getting them distorted? So when we think about distortion, distortion might occur because their morality, their ethics start straying from Christian standards, from Christian holiness. We talked about that especially last week. 
Thinking might also get distorted willfully. This is something that we see quite often, um, unfortunately, these days as well. Thinking might get distorted willfully as people become false teachers and scoffers through desire for selfish gain or open mockery of the truth. And distortion can even occur through ignorance. A lack of understanding or information causes thinking to become clouded with doubt and darkness. So Peter's desire for his readers is that they, and we by extension, will have a wholesome, pure, undistorted thinking. Thinking that agrees with the trustworthy prophets instead of being led astray by false teachers. So how does Peter go about getting to this goal? He says it here, he does it through reminders in his letters so that his readers who have been taught these things in the past will remember what they've already heard. Just as you, you've been taught in the past by many different teachers. You've been taught by your Bibles. You've been taught by all sorts of things, the truth of the gospel. And so this serves as a reminder for us as well. And we saw it throughout the letter. Peter reminded them and us of the gospel of grace, how this good news changes us. I think we know the biggest news last year had to do with the outbreak of this virus. It was first identified in Wuhan in December 2019. It was declared a pandemic around this time last year. And to date, we've seen more than 116 million cases worldwide. Try to think back with me to that first moment that you heard about this thing, COVID-19, coronavirus. Try to think back, when did you first hear about coronavirus? Maybe, like me, it didn't affect you that much when you first heard about it, when you first read about it. I remember reading about it. I remember very distinctly reading this thing about this virus overseas. Now I remember my wife, Bora, telling me about it as well, encouraging me, you should wear a mask. And it was very early days. And at that time, it didn't affect me very much, to be very honest. I kind of figured everything's under control. It's going to blow over. You know, and here's me a year or so down the line. Oh, I remember being at the airport in January 2020. We're walking around Sydney Airport. We had just arrived to spend some time with my parents. Bora had a mask as a precaution. And I didn't. I was like, yeah, you know, we're at the airport. I'm sure it's safe. People are hygienic. Didn't change my outlook on life or my behavior at all. Now fast forward a couple of months from there. Not a long time, okay, just a couple of months. And think back to when news about COVID really started to impact your life. Okay, think back with me. When did it actually start impacting your life? I remember reading about the first person in Australia who died from COVID. And then not long after that, I start seeing international borders closing. And I'm like watching, I'm going, okay, it's gonna blow over. If we're still gonna get to go to Korea, it's fine. You know, it's fine. And then it didn't happen. Not long after that, went into a big lockdown. And the way I lived my life began changing because of this. I started keeping up to date with what the latest news on COVID was, what the government was instructing us to do. You know, I remembered, 10 a.m., Melbourne, like we're going to be having a presser and I'm going to hear about what the new restrictions are. 
And then when I moved here, 11 a.m., I remembered, Sydney, we're going to have a presser and I'm going to hear what the new restrictions are. I think I'm going to remember those times for the rest of my life. You know, get, on, get online, check out what's happening. Wearing masks became second nature when the mask mandate came in. But I distinctly remember wondering when I saw some people at the grocery store, unmasked, touching everything, you know, doing all these things. And I was just watching them like, man, are they purposely defying this order for some reason? Or are they just, you know, they don't read the news? They're ignorant to what's going on. They're like, man, what's going on? Why is everyone wearing a mask? Oh, whatever. And I wondered about this. Our lives, all of us, is forever changed by news of the reality of coronavirus. Do you see this? Like today, we wear masks at church and we don't sing aloud together because we have you know, a number of people here. And some of us are pretty wary, even now, when we go into crowded places and we see people, you know, maybe like touching their faces or something, and you're like, oh, don't do that, you know? Generally, people's personal hygiene has gone up. A lot of people that I know that weren't very hygienic, I'm not going to name them, they're generally a little better now. I might still not shake their hands, but it's better. And you see hand sanitizers practically everywhere. This is something I never saw before. I can't go anywhere without seeing these things. Peter gives us a reminder about the gospel which is good news. Like news of the coronavirus did for us, news of a big historical event will always change us. Always. It will always require some sort of a response from us. So the gospel of grace is the good news about what God has done for the sake of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's not advice about how to live so that we can reach God. We don't do something in order to earn salvation. We hear the news and we accept it. It's news about what's already happened. This is what Peter tells us we must always be reminded of. This is what we always start with and what we always return to. And it sets a scene for what Peter is telling us that we need to know. Look with me at the next couple of verses. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Above all, Peter says, more than anything, most importantly, be aware of the presence of the false teachers and scoffers and how they say the last days, they're not coming. Don't worry about the last days, you'll be fine. But Peter points out, no, the last days, they're exactly when the false teachers and the scoffers will appear. You're living in them. You are in the last days. So even their existence, their presence among the people, that is evidence of the age that they're living in. These are the last days that the scoffers cast doubt on, and yet they themselves are evidence that the last days are here. And we know from the trustworthy prophets, from what we read last week, 
that the last days are when the second coming of Jesus and the final judgment will take place. And we also know from last week that the last days started with the birth of Jesus. We have been in the last days for quite some time. We are currently in them right now. But the coming of Jesus Christ to earth, that in itself was unexpected to these false teachers and these scoffers. At this time, when Jesus came after centuries of silence from God, he was lowborn of this virgin in some dirty manger somewhere. Unexpected time, unexpected place. People couldn't believe that this was the Messiah. They would point at him and say, wait, we've grown up with this guy. We've seen this guy. They couldn't believe that the Messiah could come like this. Refused to put their faith in him. But now, these same people, are we now supposed to put our trust in them when they couldn't even recognize the Messiah the first time around? The day of his return is gonna take place in the last days that we're currently living through and he's gonna return to find the scoffers and us as well, doing one of two things. Either will be about our Father's work, lives of holiness and abundance of spiritual fruitfulness flowing from our salvation in Christ. The alternative, following our own evil desires like the false teachers and the scoffers do. Notice the way that the false teachers mock the trustworthy prophets in verse four. It shows that they don't understand the first coming of Jesus, let alone the second. If they understood Jesus' time here on earth in the first place, could they cast doubt on his promised return? They cast doubt on his words. They dishonor him. And this reveals they don't understand what the cross accomplished for them. They don't understand the magnitude of what happened at the cross. In fact, the way that they say this, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. It shows that they actually lack a fundamental understanding of sin and punishment and what the cross that Jesus hung upon held back from us. Do you see this? Where is his coming that he promised, they say? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Who does this sound like? They sound like a lot of different people throughout the Bible. They sound like the people that challenged the prophet Jeremiah. They mocked him by saying, where's the word of the Lord? Let it come. And like anytime mockery is coming about, it doesn't feel very holy. It doesn't feel like someone that I wanna follow. They sound like the people that mocked Jesus on the cross saying, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down and telling him, hey, save yourself then. New life. Just as Peter uses this letter to stir up sincere understanding by way of reminder, let today be a reminder to sincerely, purely understand what Jesus accomplished. The reason why these false teachers can claim that things are just as they always have been, and they can't see the reality of sin and its consequences, and the punishment that they deserve, is the fact that they have no functional understanding of grace. We talk about this all the time, don't we? The gospel of grace, 
We're all about the gospel of grace here at New Life. Do you understand the gospel of grace? What does it mean that we have grace? The gospel is, I'm accepted through Christ, and therefore, I obey. Now the false teachers have it backwards. They say, I will obey, therefore, I'm accepted by Christ, I'm accepted by God. See, whereas the scoffers, they think about merit, they think about deserving it, and that's why they can't see anything different from the days of creation. We who know Christ, if you join me in this category, we who know Christ, we think about grace. And that's why we can see this terrible punishment that was held back from us because it was placed on Jesus. As Jesus hung upon the cross as our substitute. This is so important. When you struggle to truly, deeply believe in the gospel of grace, it can stir up all sorts of things inside of you. It can cause you to go into this spiritual deadness inside. It can cause you to have all sorts of fear when you think about God, when you think about hell. It can cause you to swell up with pride even. All the things that a works-based religion brings along with it. This is what a gospel of works does for you. So here's a test for you. Is there anyone in your life that you find just can't forgive? You are unable to forgive this person. You know, maybe you think they don't deserve your forgiveness. They've done too much and too awfully that you just can't forgive them. Because this is not just disobedience against God's commands, it's also a lack of understanding of the fact that we too are saved by grace. We don't deserve it. We have done nothing to deserve it. So the gospel of grace is not only the birthplace of salvation, it's also the seat of sanctification. That we can grow in holiness because of our faith in the grace that saved us. Look with me at verses five to seven. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So Peter's pointing out here that the scoffers deliberately overlook and forget the reality of the creation and the flood. Have you read through this flood account? Like in Genesis? People in that time were just as unaware of the coming of the flood as the false teachers are unaware of the last days. Do you see the parallel there? Like the scoffers forget not only the flood, but they also forget the grace of God in his salvation towards Noah and his family. And even worse, they forget the grace of God that this points to, the greater grace of God, of Jesus and the salvation from sin and death by the wood of the cross, rather than salvation from the floodwaters by the wood of the ark. 
be reminded by the living word of God that we have here in our Bibles. This is the prophetic witness that we've talked about, the trustworthy witness that continues to shape us. Don't be deliberately forgetful of this or turn away. By the word, God created the world and by his word, it was also destroyed through the flood. We had the word of God becoming flesh in Jesus Christ, dying for us that we might be saved. And it's by this same word that the world is stored up for fire in the day of the Lord, which will, like the flood, come and test and destroy human evil. Verses eight to nine read this. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. When we think about even the fact that God created the world, like try to imagine that scenario with me. Nothing exists. It's already kind of hard to imagine, right? And God creates the world through his word. And then when we think about God destroying this very same world through this flood, perhaps we can start to see once again the great majesty, the glory, the power of our God. God is not just our father or just our friend, he is our Lord. He is above what we can even imagine. We tend to minimize him quite often, don't we? We put him inside the same constraints that we creatures live in. I don't blame us for this, I do the same thing, right? Like we tend to think in certain linear ways and we can't imagine a scenario outside of this that a being could possibly exist and operate. We humans, we're the ones that often struggle with patience. We get annoyed with a few minutes delay on public transport or in traffic. We're unable to see beyond what's happening in the now to anticipate what's still to come in the future. And Peter reminds us here of the immense difference between us and God. We experience time in moments. We just continue to experience time. God created time. He has existed before time. And he enters into time for us. The scoffers threw, or the scoffers thought that a delay in the final judgment was evidence against this divine providence of God, against the grace of God. But in fact, it's quite the opposite, Peter tells us. Peter shows us it's because God is divinely provident, it's because he's a gracious God that he's patient. It's not a matter of just delay, as though we understand delay. It's not like, it's not like city rail, it's not like anything else that we think of in this world no, he's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. He is the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. This is our great and gracious God. The one who dealt patiently with Adam and Eve rather than killing them instantly for their rebellion. 
the one who was patient, desired repentance from those that crucified his own son, and even allowed that this act would be the very act that brought them salvation. And even now, he's patient, desiring repentance from us and from those around us in these final days until the day of his final judgment. Habakkuk 2.3 tells us, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. 2 Peter 3.10 tells us, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Has anyone had their house broken into at some point or has anyone experienced thievery and robbery? Like what happened in the moments before it? A thief didn't say, hey, I'm here. I'm about to break in, so don't call the police. No, nothing like that happened. There was no announcement prior to this happening. Make no mistake, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, it says. It's quite a negative image, but what it's telling us is the time of delay is appointed to come to an end one day, and there's gonna be no loud announcement beforehand. This, this is the announcement. The fact that we're in the last days now is the announcement. The cross of Christ is the announcement. We are in the final days and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. Peter tells us the elements will burn and be dissolved, and everything that has been done here on earth will be brought into the light. Now, right now, gauge your reaction to what was just said. The earth and the works on it will be disclosed. What has been done here will be revealed. What's the judgment that you believe that lies ahead for you? When you think about this, are you terrified? Or do you face it feeling like, no, I've lived a pretty good life. I think it'll be okay. These are two sides of the same coin called pride. It still says that your works are what saves you. And that's why people feel, feel fear when it comes to the final judgment. That's why people feel pride when it comes to the final judgment. But Peter shows us how to live in verses 11 to 13. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in. You should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten his coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And Peter tells us again what the expectation is. His goal is to remind us so that we might have a pure, sincere understanding of God. It's by grace we've been saved. And it's faith in this grace that saves us. And we see once again, this faith is based on God's promise that we wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. How beautiful that we have righteousness to look forward to. 
Let's go on to 14 to 16. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight, at peace. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. The Bible's hard, Peter tells us. Paul's letters are really hard, Peter tells us. Everything that Peter writes is not just so that his reader can take some notes, tuck them away, and forget about them. These are not so that we can hear and walk away with no change in our lives, like those who look in a mirror, walk away and forget what they look like, or those that deliberately ignore the biggest news that they'll ever hear. The false teachers, the scoffers, they're distorted by their own evil desires and are following after their own hearts. We're not of them. We don't sit in the same company as them. These reminders are so that we can be those who have a pure and sincere understanding of God and the future he has set for us so that we can have our hearts turned towards him and have our lifestyles changed by this. Verses 17 to 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Now throughout our series, The Unbearable Darkness of Doubt, we've looked at some of the things that cause us to doubt when it comes to matters of faith. As we close out this series, the hope isn't as simple as just leaving this doubt behind. I know, there are still doubts that exist. We humans, we're fairly complex, and we lead pretty complex lives as well. And there's a lot of times when doubt will creep in once again. But in exploring Second Peter together, and the many reminders about the gospel of grace, the hope is that you will allow yourself to wrestle with this doubt, not be overcome by it. Let your heart and mind take that doubt and explore the trustworthy prophetic witness that you have in the Bible with it. Speak with God in prayer about it and talk with your new life family around you. May it be that through this, you come to understand the mystery of God that he has revealed to us. May it be that you're also able to lovingly accept the parts of him that are yet to be revealed, the infinitely vast nature of our great God that we might never understand until the day that we go. You'll notice on the screen here, there's a bit of a progression down the bottom of darkness and light. And this is what our hope is for you as well. That as you look at the sermon graphics, as you, you know, think about just the series itself, that you will go from darkness to light with your doubt. Why don't I pray for us? Father, 
When we think about the doubt that clouds our hearts quite often, we can feel negatively, we can feel pessimistic about it, we can even feel fear. Or perhaps we can feel pride as we look and say, no, we don't have any doubts. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves, to place us in the palm of your hands, and to recognize once again the grace with which you sent your son here to die in our place, to be our substitute, to atone for us, that we might turn to him in faith, recognizing the grace with which we've been saved. Remind us once again, the gospel of grace is not just for salvation, but it's for those that doubt as well. Lord, let it not be that doubt gives way to false teaching and scoffing. Let it not be that doubt causes us to stray from this path, but let it be that we are strengthened by the power of your word, by the relationship that we cultivate in our prayers with you, and by the relationships that we have with one another here in our New Life family, that we might be able to grow in our patience. We might be able to endure against doubt and that we would find that even this doubt causes us to grow in faith, to grow in strength. Lord, whatever it is that we don't understand, let those things not be the things that shipwreck our faith, but let those things be stones, be markers that lead us into greater faith as we dive into your mystery. Speak to us once again of the beauty of your salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Speak to us once again as we hear the words of the songs that are about to come. Edify, strengthen our faith today, God, and help us to believe in the gospel of grace. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.